0: l-d-e-j-a-n-e-i-r-o and use the code ACAS 10 for 10% off. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation, Botox Cosmetic, botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults.
1: Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for
0: yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting
2: energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. Only at Sleep Number
0: Stores or SleepNumber.com.
3: Welcome to the Fem Pharmacy. I'm Sammy, and I'm Elizabeth. And we're here to give you access to the leading minds in women's health, bring you groundbreaking research, and share the
2: resources and remedies we've gathered through our multi-year healing journeys. No topic is off
3: limits as we explore the complexities of the female experience.
2: This is a safe space and we're so glad you're here.
3: What would a women's health focused podcast be without an episode dedicated to what makes us a woman, a period? We have such an interesting conversation with Nadia Okamoto today, who is the founder of Period Brand August. She has such an interesting background. She went to Harvard. She started a nonprofit at age 16. She even ran for public office at age 19, wrote a book that she published before she was 20. I mean, Her track record is incredible. And just from that alone, I was so inspired talking to her as a fellow entrepreneur and just learning about her history and what got her so into periods. We talk a lot about the inequalities in the period space, the taxes, things that limit people from getting the proper care that everyone deserves. And Nadia has been such an advocate for that throughout her life, which we find so admirable. We talk a lot about August, what makes it so special, using organic materials, being in Target, and We also get into the actual products, tampons versus pads. Nadia gives her honest opinion on period underwear. Nadia also has a 4 million person TikTok following. We talk a lot about the unfiltered period content that she shares on TikTok, which I think is so interesting. How Gen Z is approaching menstrual hygiene differently. And just her mental health in general, the journey that she's been through along the way. So this is a super interesting episode, both from a women's health period perspective and also on a personal level as Nadia is such a fascinating human being. I think you guys are going to love this one. Nadia, the period queen, we are so excited to have you here today.
4: Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited.
3: Let's get right into how you became a period activist at such a young age. Yeah. I know you have a really impressive track record of starting companies at a young age, going to Harvard. Can you just walk us through, like— Even just why did this become such an interest to you at such a young age?
4: Yeah. So I got started in the period space about 10 years ago. I started a nonprofit called Period and was originally just really passionate about the period space because period poverty was just such a ridiculous issue to learn about, right? I think that as a menstruator, at the time I'd had my period for like four years Realizing, like I had never thought about what it would be like to not have access to period products or to bathrooms or to clean underwear, and at the time in 2014, 40 states in the U.S. had the tampon tax, which was wow. a sales tax on period products, considering them luxury items like non-essential goods. Meanwhile, products like Rogaine and Viagra are considered medical necessities. This tax still exists, but it's down to like 20 states rather than 40 states. So we've made progress over the last 10 years. But I remember just being like 16 and like constantly learning more about this issue. The more I was just searching online and constantly just having this like, what the fuck? This is crazy. Like leading cause of absenteeism, food stamps don't cover period products, period products not being available easily in prisons and shelters. And even now, like the more and more I learn about it, like nine, 10 years in, I still have these like what the fuck moments where it's just, it just is aggravating. So Started this organization kind of because I couldn't find one to volunteer with, and it grew very quickly to become, like, the largest, you know, organization in, like, kind of advocacy, legislative work distribution in period poverty in the U.S., I'm holding my dog, which is <laughs> she's everyone um, say hello to yeah, Mimi. If you're watching on video, she's uh, <laughs> settling down. Oh, hi Mimi! <laughs> but then, uh, yes, yeah, so I was in the nonprofit space for about six years, leading this organization, and I think one of the things that I got frustrated by was just like you know i really felt the need for policy advocacy i really felt the need to do like large scale media campaigns because it was like to change policy we have to raise awareness we have to change public opinion and as a nonprofit we have to get all our funding from a lot of these brands and so that's kind of how i fell into the world of like what is the world of consumer brand i ended up writing a book my sophomore year of college called period power that came out with simon and schuster in 2018 and that research process of the book was really kind of my impetus of being like, okay, I really need to create a brand.
3: Yeah. It's amazing. As menstruators, we are so lucky to have you in this world. Oh, and I feel like you've done so much, even just like before the age of 20. How old are you now? I'm 25. 25. Oh my God. Okay. No. So pre-20, you started, period. You wrote your book. And you also, I think I read somewhere that you ran for public office. I did, yeah. Mm-hmm tell us about that. I ran for office my freshman year of college. This
4: was like 2017. I was 19. And keep in mind, it was like right after the 2016 presidential election. So Mm -hmm. it was a lot of like, I mean, I was constantly getting hit up too by just different organizations who were like, hey, we're tapping young women of color to run for public office at the local level. And so that is kind of how I first got it into my mind, even that like, I'd never even considered myself as like a potential candidate. At the time, I was really passionate about housing affordability and period poverty in Cambridge. And I was a freshman at Harvard, which is in Cambridge. Cambridge is very much a college town between like Harvard, MIT, Leslie. And I remember like a councilman kind of joking with me like, oh, if you have so many ideas yourself and like are basically annoying us all the time, why don't you run yourself? And I Googled, like, what does it take to run for office? And (laughs) the only requirement was that you were a resident and you were 18. And I was like, I'm 19. Like, (laughs) done, done. So, yeah. That's amazing. I did run. We didn't win, but we made history with just, like, student turnout and the amount of students we were able to turn out to vote. And what I'm really proud of is actually that in the next cycle, a student won. And we were kind of in close contact, like, through that. You paved the way. (laughs) I love it. I would right. hope so. But now, like, he's on
2: his, like, second or third term or something. So he's he's killing it. Oh, yeah. super cool. Yeah. So when you started period, what were some of the ways that, like, you enacted change on either, like, a local level or a, a more, like, nationwide level?
4: Yeah. Like, there was not a lot of advanced strategy behind starting this nonprofit. It was literally, like, I was 16 and I was like, okay, problem identified is that people don't have period products. And then in the world of, you know, you're in middle school, high school, you have like community service drives. The thing that they have you do is like collect things and donate them, right? Like there's like the jeans collection, Mm -hmm. there's the canned food, like whatever, like toy drives. And so the whole organization originally started as that. It was Ah. like, we're just going to collect products and then I'm going to like put them into care packages and distribute them to homeless women who are in the local Portland area. And then it was like, oh, Actually, it's better to go through the shelters that they're already going to because it's a place that they're already going for resources. Oh, wait, they need a lot more than expected. Maybe I can reach out to the brands for donations, but also maybe I can just like do bake sales. And I would literally try everything. I would like busk on the street. I was not a singer. I was like a choir girly, but I would like bring my (laughs) little friends. We would like sing on the street corner And it would just feel like the most amazing thing every time someone gave us like $2 Mm -hmm. or $5. And then we, so we kind of originally focused just on product of like collect product, donate it. And then within like six months, we were getting like national media attention. I think because this was when like youth activism was kind Mm -hmm. of like on the rise, just overall as a concept. And with that press, we started getting emails like, oh, I love this. How do I do this in my local area so me and my co-founder literally sat down at a coffee shop wrote down in a google drive like here's what we did here's like literally the email we sent to the school to get people to bring period products and then we called it a chapter and we just started like recruiting. And over the six years I was there, we ended up registering around like a thousand chapters in wow. all, 50, wow. all 50 states. It still has a chapter network. Mm-hmm. is still going and growing and has actually like a really strong international presence. And then we're basically just like using products as a way to address period poverty, which also meant like talking about it, raising awareness. And then I got into policy kind of early on because it was realizing... If we disappeared as an organization, we've made no long-term change Mm -hmm. because, like, there's still all the legislative barriers. It still costs just the same. Costs are going up. Can I ask,
2: is the tampon tax the same as the pink tax? No, so I consider
4: them two different things. I would say, like, it's kind of like the pink tax is more of, like, the phenomenon Mm -hmm. of, like— describing the fact that things that are marketed towards women are more expensive, right? So like razors is an example. Mm -hmm. A blue razor marketed towards men is slightly cheaper than the same exact product, but in pink for women,
2: right? I had no idea. That is... Yeah. Well, and so, and I think <laughs> it's,
4: you see this a lot with like lotions and like shampoo conditioner. That is like, as soon as it's marketed towards women, there's like a bit of an charge, mm-hmm. but it's not like an official law. It's just like literally companies reacting to consumer behavior. The tampon tax is like an actual tax. Like it's basically that there are numerous things in each state that are exempt from taxes. In some States that's private jet fuel parts. In some States that's wow erectile dysfunction. Actually, like pretty nationally, it's erectile dysfunction (laughs) medication. But basically the tampon tax is calling out that menstrual products are not exempt because Mm -hmm. they're not considered medical necessities. And so this is saying basically like it should be considered a medical necessity. And with August, actually, if you buy our products at stores, you can text us a picture of your receipt and we'll Venmo you back for the tax. And we've kind of brought in some other brands to do that as well. But yeah, there's still like 20 states that have this tax.
3: The fact that Viagra is deemed medically necessary, but tampons aren't is so wild to me. Rogaine too? Like no. Hair no growth, way. old male hair growth. I, and I the knew, men have
2: to have the things. Yeah, I mean, I knew this about like birth control and insurance coverage, you know, how like there was the Hobby Lobby law and yeah. that whole thing. But I had no idea that it was even on tampons and like menstrual hygiene products. That to me is like— so upsetting. And as someone who had, you know, really difficult periods at a really young age, I can't even imagine what I would have done if I didn't have access to, you know, pads and tampons and those kinds of things. Because some people, you know, like you're bleeding crazy yeah. amounts and you're just, it's really messed up. And it's kudos to you. That's really incredible. I'd, I'd love to bring it back to like the evolution of from the period org to the book. Yeah. So, What else did you explore in the book aside from these unfair practices and sort of inequities in the menstrual hygiene space?
4: Yeah, I would say like, so I originally wrote the book. I was, what, 19, 20 when I was writing it. I wrote it like over winter break because, like, I they gave yeah, me I just like casually a couple write a book months. over winter break. Like, <laughs> like cool. nothing to see here. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, um, well, because I remember my publisher wanted it out before I was 21. And so it was like, I was kind of like on a strict it's a Time nice marketing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I originally set out kind of as like, how do I put in one place? Like, what is a period? How do you deal with the period? What are the different period products? Where did they come from? Who made them? And then, like, what is the bigger picture around periods? So, like, period stigma, period poverty, legislation. And I would actually say my favorite chapter of the book to write was the chapter where I was trying to explain why the period stigma is the way it is here in the US. And To do that, I actually like was doing a lot of hours at the Schlesinger Library, which is like the feminist archive library at Harvard at Radcliffe. And I was originally just going to say like, oh, I want to just like look at old period ads. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of came to this conclusion that like capitalism is what really shaped the period stigma to be what it is, right? Because you can track in the ads like this messaging that's basically like, buy our period products to hide your period, to forget you have a period. Even the name of the pad, right? Like one of the first pad brands to market was Stay Free Pads. And the messaging was literally like, you're not free without buying the pad. Mm -hmm. Buy the pad so that you can be unshackled from the chains of womanhood, right? Like extreme visuals to the point where like, literally ads where you see them shackled to something and it's (laughs) labeled menstruation. And I think we see this kind of, even as a result in the last few years, you know, you feel shitty, you buy the product, you wear all white, you go on a date, right? And so I think that a lot of what I was trying to answer in the book, which was like, okay, the negative period stigma today is don't talk about it. It makes you less capable. It is something that can be fixed by just a product, right? Mm -hmm. It's become so productized, but also like, God forbid, anybody finds out you're on your period, right? And so I think that's where you see a lot of like, Oh, the positive thing that happens when you buy the product is like no leaks, wearing white, right? right? So it's like an
2: absence of period. That's periods. so true. Even like I remember, I feel like for our generation, the gymnastics ads yeah. on television yes. were such things. Do you remember those? Like where girls are doing cartwheels You're and in they're like, yeah, yeah, they're in a leotard. There's no tampon string hanging out. They're doing backflips and yeah. they're like you can do anything on your period. And while that kind of messaging of like not allowing your period to hold you back is you wouldn't necessarily think it's damaging. I'm hearing you in that it has this like more insidious sort of undercurrent of making menstruation this shameful problem. Yeah, no,
4: absolutely. And I remember like, I mean, I literally like scanned them and put them in the book too. But there was this one ad that sticks with me a lot where it's like, I think it was from Tampax. And it basically said like, never complain to your husband that you're going through your women's days. That's what they were called. Never complain because God forbid he would think that you are complaining about being a woman and what man wants to be with a woman who doesn't want to be a woman. No.
3: (laughs) So exactly from like early (laughs) days in these ads,
4: it was like reaffirmed that like you know, you get your first period, you're a woman. Okay. That also reaffirms that getting your period at age 13 is like so much, oh yeah, you can bear children now. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and internationally, like that is the stigma is like, you know, child marriage happens, mm-hmm. like female gene emulation happens, like when first period happens, like it is mm-hmm. a significant part of your biological process. But I think in the U S like when we wonder like, where does the stigma come from you know, of course we can link it to things like the Bible, right? Like Genesis, opening of the Bible, menstruation is seen as like the punishment, right? Mm -hmm. But there's also examples through the ads of the last century that I think for me really was, it was affirming of like, okay, ads capitalism created this, ads and capitalism can also be a part of that, like kind of takes that down. And so that's, that was a lot of the inspiration for what I do with August now is like, let's make Ads and TikToks where we're showing our products being better, but like with real period blood. And yeah. And and also saying, like, I put my tampon in and I still feel like shit. I mm-hmm. still have cramps, but like it's okay, and I'm gonna go on.
3: If you are someone whose menstrual cycle causes you pain, skin breakouts, food cravings month after month, this one is definitely for you. And I myself have been there, especially with the Low mood, irritability, feeling tearful every single month. And I feel like so many of us have normalized this sensation and it just should not be. So enter Looney, which is a daily supplement formulated by doctors using clinically studied ingredients that work with your body to get to the root cause of your PMS symptoms and support your mood across the month. With a team of medical advisors taking a holistic approach, that blends both Western and Eastern medicine philosophies, which we are very about at Fem Pharmacy, Looney created Balance Beam, a clinically formulated supplement specifically designed to target menstrual cycle and period issues. And like I said, before I started taking this product, my pre-period time was full of low moods, some mood swings, irritability, and things like that. And the Looney Balance Beam has seriously balanced, for lack of better words, things out for me. The supplement uses a select blend of bioavailable vitamins, minerals, adaptogens, and nootropics to naturally get to the root cause of hormonal imbalances instead of masking symptoms like so many other treatments do. Root cause is the way to go here, guys, with everything across the board with our health. You'll find things like L-theanine, ashwagandha, 5-HTP, zinc, selenium, and more. And I have to tell you guys, it has made an absolute difference in my month. And I'm no longer one of those people that's normalizing a painful, up and down, volatile menstrual cycle. Over 96% of menstruating people suffer from discomfort cycle after cycle. And if this is you, you should definitely look into adding Looney to your daily routine. You can use code FEM, that's F-E-M-M-E, for 20% off your first order. Just go to loony.co slash fem for more. That's L O O N I dot co slash F E M M E. I'd love to talk about your transition from writing the book, creating the, the nonprofit, and then transitioning into August. So, yeah. like, what did that look like for you at such a young age? And Explain for anyone who doesn't know what August is. Yeah.
4: So August is a period care brand. We make tampons and pads that are more sustainable. And I would say from the very beginning, we were like, how do we debunk this myth that if something is more sustainable, it's less effective, right? So it was like, we're going to make it abundantly more sustainable, but also make it more absorbent and more comfortable. And so that even if you don't give a shit about sustainability. Like this is just a better product. But also I think from the brand side, it was like, how do we remove any ounce of like shame? Like it's kind of sad that even three years ago when we were starting the brand, it was like new to even say the word period, right? Like we weren't saying feminine hygiene. We weren't saying like time of the month. We were just saying like year period and menstruation. And anyway, so that's what the brand is. We launched originally online and we're still online, but also available in Target and Amazon now. Congrats. Um, Thank you. It's been quite the journey. (laughs) I would say that like the transition was like really rocky and really dramatic. And I think a lot of that is because I started my whole career on the nonprofit side of youth activism where it was like a lot of anti-capitalist sentiments, right? Mm-hmm. And I still carry a lot of that with me, like critical of capitalism. And, you know, I think that this is kind of a paradox of Gen Z too, that people talk about of like, you know, fuck capitalism, but buy everything on Amazon because it's efficient <laughs> and easy and right. cheaper, right? I definitely internalized a lot of that. And so I remember telling some of even close friends of mine who were like, you cannot do this. Like it's it was seen as like going to the dark side, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. To go make a for-profit company. It was seen as like, the opposite of what you do for impact. Right. Which I think for me, I had learned wasn't true because even as a nonprofit, we were leaning on these companies to make impact. Right. And so I think I started to see like, where does the resources come from? And so it was like dramatic in and of itself, like from those personal conversations. And then I had actually, once I had stepped down from the organization and I had actually worked on another company called Juve Consulting, which was like a Gen Z marketing agency. I'd grown with my like now co-founder again, but i had like quit both of those jobs, replaced myself at that and then started raising capital. We were setting out to raise a few million dollars to even launch the company. Like it's an expensive business mm-hmm. to be in. And a few months in, I started to receive a lot of public backlash and kind of went through this like girl boss takedown moment where there were really important like nutshells of important things to like be accountable for right like how do i think about work and even like my race and how i show up in work and how does that dynamic play out like what is the role of corporate capitalism and like how is it ingrained with like racist sentiments and a lot of these conversations were happening like in 2020 like summer of mm. 2020 and then i also just like hit a burnout ball and so a few months into starting the company I am checked into rehab and like fully in rehab, like phone locked away, cannot work. We actually gave back some checks that had come in from investors. It was literally this point of like, I don't know if I'm coming back. Wow. And some of our investors were like, you know, we're here, like keep the money until you make a decision. But I was like in rehab, just like trying to figure myself out because I was like so burnt out, you know, like I had come off of, freshman year, publishing the book. Then I was on book tour and I was just like traveling usually like every day. Like I have great mileage because I was literally on a plane like once or twice a day for most weeks. So it was like COVID happened and I just like hit a fucking wall. And so I would say like that was a huge part of like literally starting August from the ground up, but also starting from like my personal rock bottom Yeah. and rock bottom from the context of like my mental health from my personal life, from my reputation. And so I would say starting August was actually, and what I'm thankful for now, was a lot of behind the scenes work of like research, making sure that what we were doing, like I felt I had lost a lot of trust in my own instincts. So I was like over verifying everything and talking to community and doing qualitative research. So I think you see that a lot in what we do with August is like, we kind of are like, we know what we're talking about because Mm -hmm. there was so much work that went in in those early stages. But yeah, the process was very much like come up with a brand, continue building community, constantly test it, and then raise capital. We raised like two million dollars to even start the company. Because I think what I never like appreciated, like with any product, was like, where does this come from? And not only like where was it put together and where was it packaged, like where did the materials and the ingredients for that thing come from? Right. Mm -hmm. And so there was so much behind the scenes. So we were building for like a little over a year before we even
2: launched. Well, firstly, I mean, thank you for sharing that. That's really vulnerable. And I think that a lot of people hit rock bottom in their own ways. So I know I can relate personally to that, but I'm really excited that you brought up the research element of who makes the products, where do they come from, what are the ingredients? Because like a personal gripe that I have with the menstrual hygiene space is how difficult it is to find quality menstrual care products and how expensive they can be. Especially like if you have something like I have, I have endometriosis, you have to be very careful about what period products you use. There is a direct correlation between the toxic burden that you are ingesting technically from your periods. I mean your uterus is an incredibly absorbent organ and you're putting basically a stick of chemicals inside yourself that is absorbing directly into like very absorbent tissue. I've used the word absorbent a few times also pads are absorbent. (laughs) But (laughs) point being is that it is so important for people to understand what is in their products and where they come from and when you go into like all of these CVS, Dwayne Reed, Bodega, et cetera, and you're faced with like just Kotex or Tampax or these different brands, and you know that they have chlorine in them, you know that they have bleach in them, you know that it's not good for you, especially if you have like PCOS or any women's health, anything. So how did you sort of work in like, better ingredient profiles and like you said, sustainability and just like higher quality of your products while also, you know, being able to get them to a wide audience where people can afford them and, you know, find them.
4: I mean, a lot of work behind the scenes. My co-founder also was like a huge part of that research and development process. I mean, and I think that a lot of it was just like, I will not sit here and be like, we have no chemicals because like there are chemicals in everything, right? Mm -hmm. There's chemicals in our water and what I'm wearing. But I think it was like, how do we be as transparent as possible so that people understand like what are good, necessary chemicals and what are bad chemicals, right? And so I think for us with August, like with our products, we took out anything that wasn't necessary. So there's no fragrance. And again, like that's an element of historically brands being like, your vagina is stinky. So have fragrant right. products because you need to hide the natural smell of you. Right. So I would say for us, it was like, let's take out any unnecessary chemicals. Then there are chemicals that are used that are very necessary and healthy even, right. Like mm-hmm. to make sure that the cotton is clean, you know, Right? like cotton is like a plant, you know, and there's so much like processing that goes into it. But I think it was also like, let's be you know, really proud of and be able to stand by like the process of how that's done and also transparent with it. Right. So like Mm -hmm. from the very beginning, when we launched, it was like, I remember talking to our community being like, what questions would you have about products? And like the main ones were like, where are they made? Where are they from? And like, what's actually inside of them? Mm -hmm. And so it was from the very beginning on every product page of our website being like, here is literally where it's made here is what's inside of it. Here are the things that were used. And like our pads are made in China. The tampons are made in Germany. The cotton comes from Turkey. Here's where they're stored. We have like a traceability, like interactive map. And I think all of that was really done with the intention of being like, it shouldn't be a scary, dark secret. And it is a complicated thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like also tampons are FDA approved class two medical device, Mm -hmm. right? And so there's a lot of stipulations and stuff that goes around it. It actually also brings up, there's a lot of misinformation in the space, right? And it, it comes from like the paranoia around toxic shock syndrome, period pain also, which is so valid and mm-hmm. like very mm-hmm. true, right? Of course. But there's also a lot of misinformation that I think breeds this paranoia about your tampon. So last year, titanium dioxide, did you see this on TikTok? No, no. tell us. So like... I remember there was like this moment where we were waking up and our like DMs were flooded with like, does your product have titanium dioxide? And we were like, wait, what? Like, first of all, no. But like, what is this titanium dioxide? And basically there's this tampon brand named This Is
2: L, and like on their packaging. Oh, I did. I saw yeah. this thing. Yeah. Because they brand themselves as the organic healthy yeah. tampon, but they're, they're green, greenwashed,
4: well, so to speak. So not even, that's the crazy thing. So on the box, it like not trying to hide, like titanium dioxide, it contains that. Titanium dioxide is used as a bleaching agent. But if you Google titanium dioxide, the answer is in powder form can cause reproductive cancers. Right. And so there are some people who are going on TikTok saying like, I have gotten cysts since using these tampons. Mm. I have gotten cancer from using these tampons. And like one of the things that we were kind of grappling with, because we were getting so much inbound to talk about it was we had to say like, Hey, look, first of all, the way it causes reproductive cancers is through powder form. It's not in powder form in your tampons. Right. It's like used as a bleaching agent. And so we were trying to come at it by saying, we're not going to use this as a selling point of being like, "Hey, yes, this is true, use ours, we don't have titanium dioxide, but like let's kind of like try to really understand this, right mm-hmm. because it was a lot of misinformation of like no, it's used as a bleaching agent, and there's no evidence or data that says it can cause cancers in tampon form. That being said, there's also not any confirmed research that says it cannot, it cannot yeah, right? and I think that's where the scary part is, and it kind of reaffirms like there's a lot of misinformation and there's
2: like a true lack of research in this space. That's, that's the big issue. It's that we don't know that it does or doesn't cause these things, but we do know that there's a rise in feminine diseases, so to speak.
4: And I think that's with August, it's just like, how do we just like call out where those opportunities of education is? And also just like kind of take away any sort of shield and Mm -hmm. be able to say like, this is our product. And like, Let's talk about it. And like, let's understand it. Why do we make these decisions? And and even around like the tampon applicator, right? Like we came out saying we're sustainable period products with a plastic applicator. And we got a lot of questions about that. But what we could tell people was literally like, we didn't want to make a product that people weren't going to use, mm-hmm. Right. And so originally it was like, well, let's make a non-applicator tampon. That's what people are using internationally. If you talk to U.S. teens, the idea of ha- using a non-applicator tampon is like very scary, right? Mm-hmm. Then cardboard applicator, but it like pinches your vagina lips. So it um, does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. Um, and like now, like even for me, I will make videos regularly. Like if I get my period unexpectedly and I have to use like the tampon in the bathroom and it's not August, like I'm so spoiled by like, we have a smooth BPA-free plastic applicator that's technically recyclable if you rinse it, but like most people won't. But ours is like such a smooth and rounded tip and then you use anything else and it like, it catches on a little bit, you know? Yeah,
3: I appreciate the smooth and rounded tip. As you were describing the paper, I literally could feel that pinch. You know what I'm talking about? It's brutal. On the note of your actual products, I'm just curious, like for you, are you more of a tampon or pad girl? I feel like I see you talking about pads a lot on social media, like specifically. And I'm just curious what your preference is. So I would say like it's changed
4: because of August. Like I used to hate pads. Like I started actually as a menstrual cup girl for like years and years. And then I pulled out my IUD with a menstrual cup accidentally. Oh, no. And it was like right after EDC. I was with my ex-boyfriend. I remember at this hotel, it was like <gasps> right after EDC, I was exhausted, pulled it out and like halfway pulled my IUD out. And I didn't have health insurance at the time. So I like do not, I do not recommend this reached in, pushed it ah, back, and it was like, the most painful thing I've ever experienced. Back in. No, yet. So then I was like, no more. I'm a tampon girly, only tampons. <laughs> pads are like crinkly and diapery. But August pads, like if you've ever tried them, like are not crinkly because they don't have that hard plastic in them, right? Like enough, most maxi pads have enough plastic for like three to five plastic bags. Ours don't. And it's just like more absorbent. So I would say now I'm more of a pad girly.
3: But during the day, I'm definitely like tampons all the way Yeah, I appreciate a nighttime pad. And I also like the more I've been not using tampons and like more using panty liners, I'm like, I'm not even bleeding that much. It's just like, and I know you talk about your nine day period a lot, but like for me, I'm the same where like I'm spotting so much on both sides of it, but like how many days am I really heavily bleeding? And obviously that really varies by person. Yeah,
4: no, absolutely. And I i mean, I definitely like have started posting more about like free bleeding to like gaslight my period into being done. Right. Like I'll just wear like black, <laughs> like your outfit is like my free bleeding outfit. Stop. And I mean that in like the best yes, way, which yes, is I like what you mean. your black pants and you're just like, you're safe. Yeah. And you're kind of like, it's like day, late of your period and you're like, I'm not bleeding right now. There's like a 30% chance I see a few drops in like, a few hours,
3: but you never know. You, you know, never it know. Just randomly comes. You're peeing, and like all of a sudden, you're like, yeah. "Oh wow, okay, okay, like fun."
4: But like, <laughs> yeah. so I have. I feel like I, I've, I've kind of changed. But like, I would definitely say I'm like a
3: day tampon girly, mm-hmm. pad and night, pad, night. pad yeah. girl. Me yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about period underwear? I know you don't sell them, so I'm just curious if you have a, a strong stance. So we like. I definitely are actively exploring like what reusable products could be. I
4: think a lot of why we didn't do it at the first place is when it's like really expensive to like build out as a company. I would also say like, we don't want to release anything that's like a direct copycat of what's already out there. So it'd be easy to find like a manufacturer and like just make period underwear, but we still haven't figured out how to make them and like even getting samples for them not to feel like bathing suits. And so like personally, like I've used it before, especially like on my really heavy days as like extra protection. But I think one of the things that August is like we don't want to just make it for the sake of making it. And I, we just haven't, to be honest, like found a solution where it's like comfortable, absorbent, and does not feel like a bathing
2: suit. Did you see the backlash around some period underwear products and how people were calling them out for yeah. having like toxic forever chemicals? Yeah.
4: PFAs. PFAs, yeah. yeah. Or they PFAs or whatever you call it, like forever chemicals. Yeah. There was a class action lawsuit, mm-hmm. I think, with Thinks, like $5 million settlement I would say like the hard thing about that is like, obviously we do not want forever chemicals in anything that we use. Mm-hmm. Like there's forever chemicals in our drinking water, yeah. in our laundry, in what we wear. Like actually a company that i really admired is called Cabinet Health and they do like plastic free medicine systems. And I was talking to the founder and he was telling me like, I think something like your body actually absorbs one credit card's worth every single week of Ugh. plastic. I oh, saw so, that. Yeah. Oh, One I hate to hear that. And it's like oh, in even your wa- tea bags, tea bags. So, like, my biggest thing. Yeah, like, you brought
2: up the tea yeah, bags yeah. the other day. I was like, now I have to be scared of tea bags. But so,
4: like, that's my thing with like even with period underwear, right? Which is like, obviously, people deserve justice if they've experienced some harm. Again, going back to like, there's no research that it does, but also that does not. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is like, if we're gonna call out period underwear for having it, and I'm not excusing it, I'm just saying like it's important to contextualize that, like that's also in our water. That's yeah. in the things that we drink, the things that we eat. Probably every Starbucks cup you've ever bought has like its own handful, you know? So I think mm-hmm. because of the uh, the underwear lawsuit that was heavily publicized, that adds another layer of like cautiousness of like, if we're going to do period underwear, how do we innovate in a way that we can really stand by the design, the comfort, but also in a way where we can say like, we either don't have it or like we've verified and we've done that research so that like this is absolutely not harmful.
2: Right. Sounds like you have an incredible innovation team. Like we're small. (laughs) You guys wouldn't know that. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you've got some sort of like Dexter's Laboratory vibe thing going on with like, I don't know, figuring out the perfect pad that doesn't have plastic in it. Like, this is incredible. Like, how do I go make something? This is like, honestly,
4: a lot of research, but I would also say like my co-founder like really leads a lot of the product dev. And, but I would say it's mostly just like Zoom calls with strangers who use our products already. Right. Like we have our community called our inner cycle, which you can like join on our website. It's like 5,000 people on a Geneva platform, which Mm -hmm. is like Slack. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And like, we literally have these Zoom calls regularly where it's like, even talking about heating pads, like okay, what do you like about them? What do you not like about them? And we basically just like make a Google doc of the ideal situation. And we just scour the earth for a manufacturer that can work with us to bring it to life.
3: I want to touch on your TikTok account. Okay. You have a massive following, 4 million followers. Is that right? Yeah. And I love just your entire approach. Like it is so real and raw. And as someone who didn't grow up with like a super like period friendly talking household. Like I even still am like learning to be comfortable talking about it. Like I can't believe I just talked about peeing and like noticing I was on (laughs) my period. So I really appreciate your approach because it's also softened me in that area. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to put out that kind of content? Did that always come natural for you? And how is your mental health with having such a big following to correspond with? I was definitely not
4: always like this on social media. I'm a total shit poster now. I would say like, I mean, I've been on social media since I was what, like nine years old. Right. But I would say like I was working in the period space for like six to eight years and had never posted my period blood online. It wasn't until I think I'd come out of that rock bottom of like backlash on social media, which I think gave me like when I eventually got the confidence to come back online, gave me this kind of armor of like, Mm -hmm. I have nothing to lose Mm -hmm. and like, The fear of, I think, what comes when you're like, what do I post? Do I not post this? Is like, what are people going to say, right? And like, I think I'd kind of come from like, feeling like I experienced the worst nightmare of what people could say about me. And so I was just like, not scared of it anymore, right? And so I think that's where it was like, okay not posting period blood just for the attention, but being like, well, now I'm starting a brand. People are asking me, oh, but if it's so much more sustainable, does it actually work, right? And me being like, well, I could make a video of this with some like red or blue liquid, but your period blood isn't blue liquid or, you know, or even red watery liquid. It's like cloddy and mm-hmm. like it comes out in different ways. So like, let me literally just show you, right? And so I think for me, it was just like, it was new. Like me being like this on social media and so unfiltered and like period blood heavy, like literally came once I started the company and had launched. Also when we had raised our first round and to start the company, I was not a TikToker. Like it wasn't like I had 4 million followers. Let me go like start a company. It Mm -hmm. was like, I think I had 40,000 followers like across other channels. And now I have like a little over 5 million across channels, but like at the time it was like 40,000. I was like pretty unknown. I also had like not the perfect reputation because I was coming back from this. But I remember getting on and it was like, okay, we need to build brand awareness. We're like an itty bitty company. And it's like startups always in the survival mode. So it was like, we need to grow. TikTok is this new thing. Let me just try it out. And like, I remember posting sometimes 80 to a hundred times a day, just trying to wow. figure it out. And that's I, a strategy. <laughs> I did yeah. not think it was going to like, I didn't think I was like going to be a TikToker. It was just like, let me figure out what content works. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was because a lot of companies you raise money and then you pay influencers to make content to spread awareness. And for me, it was like, we just don't have that money to spend. And we still don't really have that money to spend. And so it was like, I either need to figure this out or I need to figure out like, how do I know what content works so I can ask an influencer to make that content? But it just kind of started picking up.
3: And then you were the influencer. Yeah, then I was the influencer.
4: (laughs) And even now, like, I think I'll post 20 to 30 times a day, but I archive whatever doesn't work. So like, if you actually go on my feed you maybe see like one
3: fourth of like what I actually posted that day. That's yeah. really interesting to note because yeah. I too am a content creator yeah. and I love that tip as like, because I do really think it, there's something to finding what works and then kind of like repeating that in different ways just for yeah. people out there who are in the same boat. I love your series where, I can't remember what it's called. Is it A Period Scavenger Hunt? Yeah. Can you talk about that? I also didn't know that that was available on planes. Yeah, at all. so
4: I started doing this thing where like, I mean, part of it was August, part of our business is that we like stock restrooms. So we're in like over a hundred schools. And then we're also like in every WeWork, uh, in every Equinox club uh, as their period supplier. But I would say like, I've always been like passionate about period products being like in any public restroom. And so I started making this content of like originally rating bathrooms. Like I would go to a bar and be like, I love this like toilet seat, but it doesn't have period products. So I rate this bathroom like a four out of 10. Right, (laughs) And so I started doing that. And then I started just doing it in literally any bathroom. And I remember one time being in a plane and being like, Oh, like doing a period scavenger hunt, I'm going to rate this plane bathroom being like, let me see if there's period products. And then I had no idea, but then just started like opening any cabinet (laughs) and realizing that like most planes do have them, but they're hidden in the walls, like (laughs) super weird. And actually since that conversation, I've had conversations with airlines and like, cause I'm trying to get them to stock August. Yeah. And like, Literally, most of the people who work at these airlines don't even know these period products in the walls. But like (laughs) in the walls, it costs millions of dollars to make any mechanical change to a plane, right? And so like it feels out of reach to know that they would be more accessible. Can they just put a sticker? Well, so right now there are stickers
2: that say wash your hands. Can't there be a
4: sticker that says tampons below? But see, here's the thing, which is like because of the stigma, these planes are like many of them are quite old. So they, a lot of them have stickers that say like no smoking, but then they have an ashtray, right? Yes, right. I noticed right. that. Right. Yes. They're not they're, updating it. Exactly, they're not updating it. But what they've done is they either have sanitary napkins as what it says, or it has the female gender sign. And so a lot mm-hmm. of the period scavenger hunt content I'll do is like, oh, and the female gender sign is actually like an incorrect thing. Like we don't say feminine hygiene. We say like menstrual hygiene because like someone in a dress doesn't necessarily mean they get a period and not everybody who gets a period is going to like identify as a woman. And so, but yeah, and then I recently was on a train and I was like, let me find.
3: And there were none, but of course, I love the scavenger hunt. I had no idea that that cabinet even existed.
2: I mean, one one of my first forays into caring about women's health before like I was hit with kind of before I was hit with my own health crisis was I was really angry about the tampon dispensers on my college campus. I went to Penn and I would have these like three and a half hour classes. And I mean, my endosymptoms go back forever, but it just didn't get really bad till my later twenties. But I remember being in a class and I ran out of tampons, had bled through multiple, wasn't allowed to leave this class and was like going nuts. And I went to the bathroom And on the wall was one of those old tampon dispensers with like a slot for quarters. Oh my God. Like everything on campus was like, even our sweet green was cashless. Like (laughs) no one has cash, let alone like a fucking quarter. Are you kidding me? And what I did was, I wish that like TikTok was a thing back then. So it's like such a difference. I I mean, I'm not that much older than you, but I feel like so not Gen Z. But I used to do this thing, which actually would have made for an incredible period scavenger hunt video where I would try and break the machines open and see if there was product left and then try and figure out like, had the product been changed out since like the seventies, eighties, whatever. And I had this whole idea to basically like revolutionize the tampon machines. And that was something that I'd worked on for a while after college. It didn't end up being sort of what I wanted to do on a wider scale health topic, but it's just, it's so funny that like these archaic versions of how women's health is handled and portrayed in society is is seen in so many different facets. And I love that you're doing that with the bathrooms on TikTok. That is hilarious. Maybe I'll start breaking machines again. (laughs) Right. We actually like, I
4: remember years ago when I was working on the nonprofit, we did this PSA. Like I love doing these like PSA videos, like before TikTok, where it was like, you just need to make a viral video we did this PSA around like if men had to pay for toilet paper and basically worked with this agency to like build a fake toilet dispenser. And it was basically like, imagine if you're a dude and you go to the bathroom, you can't hold it and you take a shit and then you look over to your right and the toilet paper says you need a quarter. Right. And you're sitting there. Literally the same thing. And it's the same thing. Right. And I I remember people (laughs) watching this video and being like, Oh, that's what it is. Like it has to be
3: put into those terms for it yeah. to click for them. And and yeah, it had to be
4: put into the terms of like, <laughs> you know, you expect toilet paper to be there so much. Who the fuck carries quarters around if no ever? <laughs> um and
2: yeah, so there there's a there's a lot to do there. Have you seen the the videos where they put, like, electrodes on a man's stomach and they make him feel how I bad feel like a period I feel you TikTok on that or something. We, oh, I, did you?
4: We've, like, duetted a bunch of videos like that because, like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically a TENS machine, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, we're used to feeling so much pain. There And I think like— the When I go ballistic, by the way, oh, they're, of like, course they do. they're like,
2: I'm dying. I can't yeah. handle this. Somebody help me make it stop. <laughs> and we're just like— I think that another
4: thing that I was thinking about recently is like, I started posting about having like vulva pain, mm-hmm. where it's like, I don't have period cramps. I have like literally pain, not inside, but like just like the bones of my vulva.
2: Yes. <laughs> Wait, literally? Yeah. I don't know if you've had a chance to like listen to a bunch of our episodes, yeah. but— vulvar pain. I don't know if you've like become familiar with some of the terminology, but yeah. vulvidenia, yeah. Uh, pelvic floor pain. Like this is all stuff that we talk about a lot on the and podcast. we're just used to. And we're, right. yeah, we're used to, but people aren't used to talking about, yeah. and people aren't used to putting labels on and, you know, talking about what the causes are, how yeah. it Find treatment for it. It's like, I almost feel like to take it a step further, what you were saying earlier about back in, you know, let's say like. 30 to 50 years ago, the advertisements for tampons used to be that there was a shackle to your leg and that you can't talk about periods. And then it became, okay, you can talk about periods, but you can only talk about them in this small bracket of language. And there's no pain. And yeah, then there's no pain. You can't talk about that. You can talk about it being hard for sports. You can talk about, you know, needing like Advil for like minor cramps, but Beyond that, it's still like very like hush hush. And now I feel we're sort of getting into this era of feminine expression where women are willing to talk about the other pain that they have, the vulvar pain, the vestibule pain, the pain with sex, all these things. And it's like, there's so much beyond just pain with a period. And I sometimes even like when I'm having some of my other pains, I use the excuse of, oh, I'm having period pain to friends because Because that feels easier than saying, oh, like my interstitial cystitis is flared up or I'm having like vaginal pain. Yeah. Yeah. No,
3: absolutely. You're really taking it. Yeah. It's one big piece of the puzzle Mm -hmm. of this, like the structure of a woman and, and the pain that we go through. We are so grateful for you coming thank here you. to talk to us today. Can you share with our audience how people can find you, how people can access August, all of the places?
4: We're all over social media. I'm just at Nadia Okamoto and August is itsaugust.co and at itsaugust on socials. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for letting me bring my dog. I was of telling her. Mimi was such a treat. Mimi <laughs> is such a treat. I've been kind of like wrestling, making sure she's like settled, but um, she's our like little office princess so she'll come with me especially when she has like a little
2: injured paw I love it so. no, no
3: she was so good yeah and this
2: <laughs> this was incredible you're a powerhouse thank, thank you. you for everything that you do thank you thank you so much We hope you leave today's episode having learned something new and feeling empowered.
3: If you're loving Fem Pharmacy, you can support our mission to bring you the latest and greatest in women's health by
2: subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with a friend. For more on these topics, follow us on Instagram at Femme Pharmacy or check out our website, fempharmacy.com.
0: O L D E J A N E I R O and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults.